Hi, Smith. Douglas here. Lily's dad. How are you? And um, my my question is, what kind of hat does a Gopnik wear? I see hats at the Russian baths in New York, and I'm thinking, is that a Gopnik hat? Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. So my dad called into Smith's podcast. Okay, so what is a Gopnik hat? And is it the same as the hats that you see at the Russian baths? Well, no, it's not the same as the hats that you see at the Russian baths, probably unless there's some Gopniks in there, (laughs) which I kind of doubt. So first I'll explain what we mean when we say a Gopnik hat, like what is the stereotypical hat that is part of the stereotypical look that involves an Adidas tracksuit. And then I will briefly explain what the, the hat that you probably are seeing in the Russian baths are. So the Gopnik hat is like some form of a newsboy cap. It's also called, yeah, the duck bill kind of gives a good image, but it actually doesn't have to be. It can be made of different materials, like synthetic materials. I'm looking at a fake leather one, which is on point. (laughs) It's basically like if you imagine a baseball hat with that like bill, you know, that like visor, but then a whole other sort of like flop of a hat covering it so that you don't get that sharp division between the visor and the head you just get one long duck bill as a side reminder gopnik is not really a like don't go around calling people gopniks and then the banya hat is actually functional in that it is basically just like a wool cap that is designed to keep your head insulated when you're in the banya do you want to describe what it looks like? Yeah, there are different shapes of this little woolen cap. They're generally like a bell shape. Often they're like white wool, plain, and like mine is just a little bell with a very simple design on the rim, like kind of curved around the edges. But then there's others that are more simple and there's some that are brown and there's some that have like stupid things written on them, like I heart Banya or like, <laughs> I, I don't know, other dumb like touristy stuff. And you can usually uh, either like get those for free or rent them when you when you go to like public Banyas or they sell them in big supermarkets here. They have like in the section where there's like stationery and other random stuff, they'll be like Banya stuff. This is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> Wait, have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 This is gonna be Yeah. Yeah. This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. Traffic stop the fuck up to get off of this road. This is She's in Russia. I'm Smith, and I live in Brooklyn. And I'm Lily, and I live in St. Petersburg. Can you not say it in such a demure voice? I was I was just trying out a new voice. I'm a phone sex I was talking. working on a new voice, and you had to draw attention to it because you're a slut. <laughs> What's today's topic? So this episode is about the Russian banya. Yeah. So on this episode, we're gonna we're gonna take you through a few different parts of the banya. We're gonna talk about the significance of it, the history, the proper way to banya. Proper way, proper way. We're definitely gonna get into like the differences. How does a banya different from other sauna cultures? Yes. Also that. So where do you want to start? The sucker. Maybe it makes sense to define what is a banya. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Describe the significance and then maybe go into detail what happens within it. What is a Russian banya? First of all. Yes. Physically. The word banya describes the combination of two spaces. One is a space where you wash, like with, there could be a shower or just like a bucket of water, but generally a shower. And one place where you steam, as it's called, but it's basically, for our purposes in English, it's a sauna, like a heating room. So a heating room and a washing room. Those two things together is a banya. And like the thing that heats the heating room, the stove is also part of it and is very important. So that's why I mention it. It's traditionally like a wood stove, wood-burning stove, but like modern technologies, you can use gas as well but not electricity. There are generally two types of banyas, like very generally, the public kind and the private kind. The public kind are like what, I don't know, a public bathhouse in many cultures is like, a place where anyone can go, usually separated by gender. 
And then a private banya is, as it sounds, like one that you would have in your own home. If possible, if you have not an apartment, but like a house with land, then you can build a separate building for the banya. Okay, so how does like a Russian banya differ from saunas and bathhouses in other countries? Okay, so in any banya, in any Russian banya, so it doesn't matter if it's public or private, it's basically differentiated from other types of bathhouses or other cultures like sauna-esque things by temperature and humidity. That's how they all differentiate. Generally, you can divide into three types of heating bathing experiences. There's the sauna, which people in Russia refer to as the Finnish sauna, like the Finnish model. Then there's the Russian banya. And then there's the hammam, like the Turkish sauna. Okay. Just really quickly, like this Finnish sauna is like a high a high temperature and a low humidity. So it's like dry heat. Right. Okay. Which is like, I feel like the common sauna that exists in the United States is that. Yes. If the Finnish one is like low humidity and high temperature, the Russian sauna is supposed to be really balanced. And this is what I'm going to give kind of like a, even a technical numbers thing on so people do it differently here and there's lots of people who are like make the sauna really really hot but according to a steam master he said this like banya specialist he was like it should be 50 50 with humidity and heat or like some kind of balance but then he described it this way that's like really funny he was like the temperature of the russian banya should be between 60 and 70 degrees celsius so that's 140 to 158 degrees fahrenheit that's really hot, right? Yeah. It's very hot, yeah. But he was like, just balanced. This whole 50-50 thing, he was like, together. And this is this was so funny because he was doing that like mansplaining thing. He was on a podcast and he was like explaining it. And all the other guys, other men who were like hosting it were just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But like if you listen to what he said, it's really crazy. He was like, the numbers of the temperature and the percent of humidity should add up to 120 to 130. So if it's six, like in Celsius, so it's 60 degrees Celsius, then the humidity should be 60 to 70%. Lol. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it seems completely arbitrary. It's like really, and it sounds really bullshitty too to be like, they should add up to 100 to 130 units. And then all the men are like, yeah, yeah, numbers. Yep. Yeah, but but actually like if it works for him, whatever. I mean, who cares? Then the hammam, the Turkish sauna is the most sort of like, it's the lowest temperature one. It's between 30 and 50 degrees Celsius. And it's very high humidity. Like it could be 90 to 100% humidity. So that's where you get those like steamy. Yeah. And like the the one we went to, and I feel like this is a case and a lot of them will have like a little pool also sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like public ones will have a big bathing room with multiple showers, a freezing cold pool usually, like an ice pool, ice water. Yeah, and then the, the sauna room. So just to not be confusing with sauna, the Russian word is parilka, which is like steam room. So we can just call it that, even though it's not steamy. Well, it is, but it is steamy. It's just not as steamy as a steam room. Yeah, it's not like a hammam where you're like sitting in steam by any means. Maybe explain to people like what the process is. Like you come in, you take off your clothes, like walk somebody through that. Okay, so let's say you go into a, a public one, like a city one. There's actually three rooms because there'll be a locker room in the public ones. So you go into the locker room, you undress, you can bring stuff with you or you can like, you know, rent stuff like a towel depending on your hygiene preferences or like slippers or whatever. You go into the, the bathing room first. So you open the door and you're in the bathing room and it's a big room, like tiled covered room with, I don't know, could like between five and ten shower heads probably that are like open cubicles. Everyone's just naked and walking around. Everything's open. There aren't like there's no need to close doors because genders are separated. And then... There are benches that you basically like go and occupy a space on a bench and put your stuff there. Like your people just have a whole set of stuff they bring to the banya. Do you remember that? Yeah, like a lot of people, you know, they they have like their soap and like all their grooming things. Yeah, yeah. they could have their nail. They could have like nail clippers, definitely scrub some kind of like loofah to scrub with. You get a place on the bench, and then basically you're just going like between the bathing room and the steam room the hot room according to this master of steam you're supposed to you're supposed to like do your first heat first of all lying down like in a horizontal position with like ideally with like a thing under your neck and a thing under your ankle so that you don't like burn your toes and stuff and you put your little hat on before you go in your little wool hat I didn't have this experience in Russia but when we went to the Russian baths in New York like this the steam room was 
it burns you because there's enough water in the air that's really hot that's touching your skin and so you have to have something on your head otherwise your skin starts to like feel like it's burning it's not that it's necessarily too hot to just like exist in there the temperature isn't necessarily the problem although it's also hot but it's the actual contact of the hot water on your skin yeah and you're supposed to be horizontal which i never do i normally am sitting but that makes it so that your head is hotter than your feet and it's like not as good I guess so to distribute the heat you're supposed to lie down on your back and then also on your tummy and the first heating round you're not supposed to use those branches that that are called veniki the branches are a very key part of the banyan experience they're different types of trees that do different things but the most common are birch and oak and it's like a bunch of birch or oak twigs with leaves bunched together like a switch a little bushel yeah bushel bushel I, I don't like using the word switch because in my mind a switch is like a whip basically yeah and that's not what this is this is just like a little bouquet of leaves well it's a very big bouquet but yeah it's like a it's a bunch of bunch of thin twigs with a bunch of leaves on them so that like most of it is leaf surface and it's dried usually right yeah so i'll get into what how you use it in a second so the first time you go in the heating room you shouldn't use it you should just heat up and then according to this guy and I didn't realize this until I listened to him according to him you're supposed to then after that first round of just heating you're supposed to come out and completely bathe your pores are open and you're supposed to do your whole bathing thing and then you can have like as many more rounds as you want of going in but you don't bathe again oh and then after the second one once you're like really heated, thoroughly, thoroughly heated and you're sweating and everything, you should do the cold water plunge. Or if you are lucky enough to be located in a place that has snow and the banya is like small enough that you can get out of it really quick. So like not a public one. Also, not just about getting out quick. You don't want to really be naked in the snow in the city, I think. But <laughs> I just realized that. But the ice bath is is important. It's not just like, it feels really, really good. But it's also supposed to be one of those like, you know, the kind of therapy for circulation, like shock therapy for circulation. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, it's good for you as long as you like put your whole head under and everything. Starting with the second time you're in the steam room, like the sauna part, you can start using those branches. And it's ideal if like someone else uses the branches on you. But you have this like dry bushel of branches and you are supposed to soak it beforehand in cold water. And then you basically are, it's called steaming. I mean, that's like the verb that's used with the branch. It's not called hitting that's like the joking verb what's the russian word for it paritsa paritsa to steam so smith is lying in her tummy and i have soaked my like let's say it's a birch bushel uh in cold water beforehand and then i would i take it and i lay that like now wet bushel over the stones if you have like if you have open stones that are like the hot stones are gonna like steam up the water and then i just am like making circular motions with the branch and kind of like going over Smith's entire, the surface of Smith's body, like back body, without hitting her. Like it's okay, they, there's contact, but there are some actually um, steaming like rituals or whatever that are no contact at all. It's just circling the air above you. And it, because it's okay. hot air, you feel like your skin gets really, really hot. That can get, that can be painful. Like I've definitely, when you're already hot and there's just like hot air circling over you and it, it yeah, it can be very overwhelming. And you're supposed to do it on your back and on, like, then lying on your back and have it done on your front body. Right, but but to be clear, it's not like it, somebody doesn't come out and, like, beat you with it. Like, the the feeling of the, the bushel against your body is not the, like, quote-unquote painful part of it. It's the generation of heat. The generation of, yeah, hot air between the bushel and your body. Part of the whole Russian body experience is also there's lots of stuff with aromatherapy. So like one thing you can do is have uh, some kind of essential oil on the leaves themselves or they already have a like really nice smell if it's birch or something. And then you can like, for example, you'll see people like putting the whole bushel on someone's face and being like, inhale. And then they have to like, they're like, <laughs> they're like dying of heat. Like <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. So, I mean, you've referenced like the difference between public and private, but can you talk about this black versus white banya? Yeah. So there's something called, in Russian, it's a banya pachornamu. It's not exactly like saying black banya. It's like banya in the black way 
there's another name for it. Basically, the black banya, which we'll just call it because it's easier, is also called in Finnish a smoke sauna. And what it means is it means that the oven that heats the sauna is located inside the actual sauna. So you're not supposed to sit in there while the oven is going because then you would just be breathing smoke directly. What you're supposed to do is prepare the sauna by like letting it get all smoky in there, letting the oven heat up, and then the smoke is aired out, but like everything inside the sauna is like kind of like stained from the smoke and like has this really particular, really nice smell. And then a white sauna is just, it just, like, nobody calls it a white sauna, but it just means one with a chimney that releases the smoke. <laughs> so we're going to take a break and listen and listen to something. What are we listening to? We are going to listen to a song called Banya Pachornamu, Black Banya, by Vladimir Rysotsky, who is, like, a very, very, very famous, beloved Soviet bard they're called but you know like poet singer he was referenced in our beaches go to brighton episode so go back and listen to that where we interviewed somebody who actually as a side project translates all of his work and re-records it in english so go check that episode out and then when we come back we'll be talking about what foreigners have said over the past like thousand years about banyas in russia Продави ты мне баньку по белому, и я до белого свету отвык. Угорю я, и мне угорелому пар горячий. Развяжет язык Протопи, протопи, протопи Ты мне баньку, хозяюшка Расколю я себя, распалю Полоби у самого краюшка Я сомнения в себе истреблю Okay, so we're back and we're just gonna like talk a little bit about how Badias were represented by travelers and explorers and foreigners coming to Russia and having the Banya experience and kind of having similar reactions because I think it was a popular activity for travelers to do throughout history. The majority of these quotes that we're going to go through are from a book. So this book was written in 1978, so still Soviet times. The title of the book is Sweat and the author is Mikhail Aland. The general sentiments that I got from it were the kind of classic one, which is like, whoa, Russians are crazy because they have like a really high tolerance for both heat and cold. That like kind of crazy image of the Russian getting really hot and then running out into the snow, which, you know, is semi-accurate. And not actually crazy. It's actually good for your health. It's really accurate. <laughs> And then the last sentiment that comes up, and I don't know like how widespread this was, was a lot of these people, a lot of these quotes we're going to read, note the lack of bashfulness around being naked. Maybe you have more insight into this than I do. I don't, I know, I haven't gotten the sense that like Russians are less conservative or like more comfortable being naked than any other set of cultures. But I guess I've only been in bathhouses where it's separated by gender except in America but yeah I guess at the time that these people were traveling to Russia a lot of the bathhouses weren't separated by gender and that only started happening after like the church and Catherine the Great were like yeah this is this is unseemly and we're not going to do this anymore but then like Catherine the Great was like unless you're an artist and then everybody's like I'm an artist she was like unless you're like a doctor or an artist and I was like well <laughs> you know well I do have my degree <laughs> I do dabble in the arts <laughs> Okay, so the first quote comes from this thing called the Russian Primary Chronicle, which was compiled around like 
Oh, wow. I don't even know how to say this number. I guess 1113 by a Ukrainian monk called Nestor. And it's just a collection of like anecdotes and logs and stories, etc. about Rus between the years 850 and 1110. Sometime within the same period, you know, between 850 and 1110. The apostle Andreas goes to Novgorod. So he, he returns to Rome and relates this tale of going to the Banya. Wondrous to relate, he said. I saw the land of the Slavs, and while I was among them, I noticed their wooden bathhouses. They warned them to extreme heat, then undress, and after anointing themselves with tallow, take young reeds and lash their bodies. They actually lash themselves so violently that they barely escape alive. Then they drench themselves with cold water and thus are revived. They think nothing of doing this every day and actually inflict such voluntary torture upon themselves. They make of the act not a mere washing, but a veritable torment. And then so bouncing ahead, we're into the 16th century and the English poet and diplomat. It's always like they get to be poets and, and artists and then they're also working for the government. Yeah, it's really annoying. Giles Fletcher, an English poet and diplomat. You shall see them sometimes, to season their bodies, come out of their bath stoves all on a froth, and fuming as hot, almost as a pig at a spit, and presently to leap into the river stark naked, or to pour cold water all over their bodies, and that in the coldest of all the winter time. And what is I saw before my eyes? <laughs> Behold me, a little red man coming out of the closet. It's like... <laughs> So this is from the early 1600s, so it's a similar time to when Giles is relating the pig at a spit. This is from German librarian Adamus O'Lerius. So he's describing kind of like the whole process for, for the banya. Besides that, there was but one door for men and women to go out or in. Some of both sexes, who were pretty modest, hiding their privy parts with a handful <laughs> of leaves soaked in water, the rest appearing stark naked. Nay, some of the women came in that posture to speak with their husbands in our room without the least sign of bashfulness. They are not sensible of these opposite qualifications of heat and cold as other people are. For we made this observation in Narva that the Muscovite boys of eight, nine, or ten years of age would stand for half an hour together barefooted upon the ice without even complaining of cold. Those freaks! Okay. So then moving on to 1774, we have Giacomo Casanova, who was an Italian adventurer and for whom the term Casanova is named. Adventure and rapist. The famous Giovanni Casanova, he calls him Giovanni, but I think his real name is Giacomo, was especially surprised by the Russian attitude toward nudity. In 1774, he visited Moscow accompanied by Zyra, a woman who was actually basically a child at that point probably like 14 or 15 a woman he had bought for 1000 rubles in st petersburg he wrote in may zyra had become so beautiful i had decided to take her along on my trip to moscow on saturday i went with her to the russian bath there were 30 to 40 people there all of them quite naked but since no one looks at anyone else one does not have any feeling of being observed naked this lack of a feeling of shame comes from a kind of inborn innocence which these people have Getting to the end here. So in 1809, Robert Kerr Porter, who was a British artist and diplomat, went to the baths and was also struck by the unbashfulness of the naked people. These purifying reservoirs, being the hot baths, consisted of low wooden buildings with small openings in their sides, whence issued a thick, muddy stream flowing from the first washings of the natives and in which they still laved their grease-encrusted bodies as they sallied forth to enjoy the cooling waves of the river. <laughs> Who are these freak writers? These just like grease encrusted salad folk. They just wish that they were good at writing, and they're just like Salion. As we approached these cleansing elevations, we beheld the waters that rolled from under their foundations filled with naked persons of both sexes who waded or swam out from the bath in great numbers without any consideration of delicacy or decency. From motives of gallantry, we posted ourselves opposite the ladies, the better to observe the grace and nymph-like beauty of their groups. 
To say that they did not blush would be to belie them, for certainly their skins were of the brightest pink, but it was a spontaneous glow, not the sensitive rush of shame, for they look around with all the sang froid of females fully apparelled, and in this evish state, with a wooden pail in one hand and a huge bunch of umbrageous birch twigs in the other, they descended the steps into the river. Picture yourself with nearly a hundred naked naiads flapping, splashing, and sporting in the wave with all the grace of a shoal of porpoises. I hate that. <laughs> I really do. I know it's really it's rough also I don't understand this sentence from motives of gallantry we posted ourselves opposite the ladies gallant that they didn't go and fuck them I'm pretty sure oh wow yeah very he's like very gallant true gentleman we put ourselves far away so we could just gaggle from the sidelines (laughs) also I just like I really I hate this and I don't this is an interesting thing though to look into just separately is this like objectifying of Russian lack of shame like I've never I don't know what that is but it's really yeah the Europeans coming in being like these heathen like people they look like us but they have no shame that's the thing again they're like they're like white yeah they're white but they behave in a very strange way come along child that I bought for four I, like, <laughs> I also like how they're like, I also like how he decides what kind of red they are. They're like red from the heat. He's like, it's not the touch of Rosie that comes from shame, but the red that comes from a healthy body waiting to be raped. Like, so then then the last the last thing is from 1978, which was the year that this book that I mentioned, Sweat, was published. And it's just the author's intro to it and his experience of going to a Russian banya. My comrade yelled something in Russian and the room fell quiet. All eyes focused on me. I had the uneasy feeling he was telling them I was a Finn and should be shown some real sweat bathing. A couple of men at the top of the platform motioned for me to join them as my friend yelled for more steam to accompany my climb. A few hands helped me up. I sat down quickly, ducked my head between my knees, and hoped the searing steam collecting at that altitude would soon pass. The Russians began laughing and stomping on the platform. I never expected such a ruckus exuberance from the stony faces I had seen on the street. Another treat. Out came the birch switches. I tried to refuse, but an obliging Russian, perhaps not understanding, went to work on me. Whap! The birch slapped across my back and drove scalding steam deeper into my skin. I thought ouch was a universal word, but the Russian ignored my cries until I was sure I would have welts for weeks. So we're going to take a break and listen to a song by a late night host similar to Jimmy Fallon. And and what's his name? His name is Yvonne Organt, and the song is a spoof of a real song called Rosé. But the parody is about the banya. (laughs) Okay. When we come back, we'll be talking about the history of the banya, specifically its cultural significance as a place of health, spirituality, and socializing. Перестаю дышать я Парную с алкоголем Лучше не мешать Эти облака Фиолетового пара Краснота на лицах Ярче всех заката Здесь слишком жарко Надо выйти подышать Из пихты веники Замочены в ушат Такие тела Тогда тепла потея Время прыгнуть лоны Старая мельница не хочет быть сегодня одна Я твой дельфин, ты русалка, номер скорее мой набира Мочалка грехи свои оттирать Заново их нас собирать Хочу горать, я хочу горать Хороший веник Окей, So my friend grew up in a small city in eastern Ukraine, and he told me about like this the the Banya culture in that city particularly. The whole city itself was was first established in the late 1800s, and it's built around a factory. So there's two main Banya like 
cultures in the city. There's the banyas that exist in the factory itself, because first of all, in a, in a big factory, in, a, in any kind of like factory town in Russia, the former Soviet Union, there are like different sections of the factory, and each section has its own banya. So there's multiple banyas in the factory. And these banyas work 24 hours. And so, you know, you come off your shift, and this is men and women both work in these factories. You come off your shift and you go to the banya like you would go to like a shower room or something. Then in this particular city, there was one big public banya that generally was used by people who don't work at the factory. So that was people who were either like younger than 18 or older than 50. Okay. But he has this very, very sweet story of going to the banya as a little kid with his grandfather. And I want to say like he was like nine or 10, but I don't know if that's accurate, but like a little kid. And the grandfather would go every weekend and sometimes he would take his grandson with him. And it was like a special thing. Like the significance of this is like, this is how sort of to give you an idea of how like the banya is not just a place, really it is not just a place that you go to bathe. Like there's a bathing and there's a cleansing of the mind and spirit and that is very important. And there's also just the sort of like spa element of it. Like it feels good and it feels like it's relaxing. But then there's also this very important social element. And in the case of my friend, as like he tells the story, it was really significant for him to be able to go into this like all male space where he just, you know, sits quietly kind of and like observes, quote unquote, like fully grown men or real men, like having their man talk <laughs> with each other. Yeah. And yeah, so for him, it was like this very important, like sort of growing up experience um, or being like let into a world for a little bit. Since like the early 2000s, the banya culture kind of shifted in that city and the city banya like started to just fall out of use. Like fewer, fewer and fewer people went and eventually it closed down and in the early 2000s. And now it's just like an empty, like abandoned building. It's this very old building, mm. but it's yeah, it's totally abandoned. And instead, people started like building their own banyas and sort of like capitalizing on them, like building them on their premises. And because some people have like um, houses there, yeah, uh, like he grew up in house and building a banya and then like charging people to come to it. But it's like not the same social experience at all. Just not like that one communal place. That was kind of sad it is it is sad that banya culture in general and maybe this is i don't know what the deal is in other countries if sauna culture is like kind of declining also but it like doesn't make sense why it would decline i don't understand i actually don't understand that it's just like such a good thing and it's not like there's something else that's replacing it except for that people have like showers at home but they need to get the word out yeah i think people just like forget how important the other elements other than cleaning yourself are and like how wonderful they are i mean you kind of referenced in this in the beginning but i do think that going to bathhouses in a country you're in is like a really good way to experience that because you're just you're not really usually in a touristy place when you're inside the bathhouse you get to see people from all generations and especially when it's separated by gender it's like the women are comfortable in a way that they might not be in other public spaces and so you just get to like see like women of all generations interacting in a way that you don't get to anywhere else yeah I think our tactic of trying to go to like the public bathing spaces is a good one when you're traveling yeah yeah okay yeah so going back in time what what did the banya look like in its early iterations like presumably its current kind of city state is not how it used to be country mouse and city mouse <laughs> first of all there's country and city mouse banyas now but yeah okay so prototypes um iterations this is just really bizarre and i really did not know about this i don't think a lot of people know about this um unless they look into the history of the banya is that apparently one of the main prototypes for the russian banya is the russian oven <laughs> and the Russian oven, the Russian oven separately is extremely important in Russian culture. It's like one of those like the heart of the home, the hearth or whatever, like but the Russian oven has a lot of significance as like the, you know, place of the thing that feeds you and the thing that heats you. In villages, people still have them. It's a big, I think I want to say clay, earthen yeah. oven. Yeah. Hu- like huge, like it's large enough uh to lie on 
And that is very important because people would sleep on them, on top of them, to stay warm. Like, it has a big flat surface. I guess if you imagine, like, a flat-top pizza oven, those can be really big. It's wood-burning, but, like, it's fairly spacious, so that'll become important. <laughs> so the flat surface on top, you, you hear in, like, a lot of Russian fairy tales, folklore, stories, like, the peasant sleeping on top of the oven. It's, like, a f- featured character. So apparently, not only do people sleep on top of it, not only does it produce food inside of itself, but it also, in its like epic mother womb metaphor heart center way, is also the bathing chamber of like the prototype bathing chamber, I guess, of Russian culture. This is like what I read about the way this was done. Basically, like people would very much like clean the whole thing out. You put water in there like a container with water so that you can get some steam going and like moisten the air. And then I imagine you have to put something down because so, the whole the whole thing is heated, like the bottom and the walls are all Yeah, because it's a literal oven. It's a literal oven. <laughs> and then you climb your little butt in there. First place that I came, I came across this like man climbing into an oven situation was specifically as it relates to health, like when he was feeling feverish or something. This is an activity he would do. So maybe we could talk a little bit about banya and and health like like what the relationship is there yeah because so it's not only about bathing very much the banya whether it's you climbing into your oven or you using like a separate banya house of some sort in russian culture like forever it's used as like the universal cure for anything really anything like physical ailments whatever like rheumatism aging in general menses menses yeah you could be cured for menses no but like if you're having the effects of menses and you are feeling ill then you go to the banya so like i think in more ancient times it was considered like totally a cure-all for like anything and there are even sayings of like if the banya can't cure it nothing can or like something like that yeah wait i want to read some of these other quotes similar to that if it weren't for the banya we would all perish banya is our second mother and a day in the banya is a day without aging. Yeah, very similar to this like cure-all thing is, I mean, not similar, but very connected, is this space of like spiritual significance or liminal space, actually. Yeah. So a lot, and also in ancient, uh, more like farther back Russian history, use the banya during important life moments, such as birth, death, wedding, what else happens in your life that's important? Nothing. And so like, so let's just like move on past this oven thing and imagine like people really early on start building like Vanya houses as well, like little wooden buildings with like a washing area and a sauna area. Wait, explain what the Vodic is. You know how like a lot of cultures have little house spirits? The Bonic is the one that occupies the Banya. He lives there. He's a little spirit. He can sometimes take, I say he because like sometimes can take the form of a little like gross hairy man. It's like folklore. It's not, it's not something that people necessarily reference now and is one of the many home spirits that existed. But when people believed in it or people who do believe in it still, if they do, it lives like the stove, just kind of like hides. And it's like a, it's a, not a nice spirit. It's a mischievous and uh, demonic little guy. And it likes to do its banya time after several humans have already done their thing. And it uses the dirty water that they use. (laughs) And like sometimes it's portrayed with like vinicky leaves stuck in its hair and stuff. It's just sort of like is part woodland creature. Oh, and sometimes it invites its woodland creatures inside too. And you're not supposed to go in the banya like when it's in there. Yeah, because sometimes it'll even invite the devil in. Oh, dangerous danger zone and so like yeah the things that we're reading about like more ancient birthing rituals in the banya of being like the midwives having to do things to like appease the bonic like give him like different sacrifices but i asked several people that i am friends with like i was like do you know what this this bonic guy is i even sent them the wikipedia and they and two out of four said that they'd heard of that thing <laughs> and the other two were just like i've never heard of this before it's because banya culture has died in Russia. well then i was like yeah i was like save your folk culture hold on to it <laughs> <laughs> the botic is explains who you are as a people let's try to talk about the transition from how the banya was used or what role it played in society 
before the Soviet Union and then what happened during the Soviet Union, because as like we've said before, all aspects of culture were transformed pretty directly and uh, deliberately during the Soviet era, including Vanya's. I don't know. Can you do you think you can introduce? I mean, I think I think the most like obvious and visual thing is that during the Soviet Union and not necessarily because of the Soviet Union, but because this type of thing was happening worldwide was like the urbanization and industrialization. So like a bunch of people are moving from the countryside where maybe they have their own personal banyas or using their ovens or whatever. And they're moving into cities where they also want to be able to bathe and like the infrastructure for banyas isn't quite set up yet but the like company line or like the government position on banyas was that they were an important thing to have and there were like programs that revolved around designing and building new banyas and that there was like you know actual like departments that were like banya and laundry and that was the other thing it seemed like a lot of banyas during the soviet union it's like you would go and you would like give them your clothes and everything and they would wash your clothes while you were bathing this thing that we were reading was about the night was really about the early soviet era up to the 30s or maybe up to the war what just to support what you just said in 1920 lenin passed like an actual decree on the necessity of supplying all the republics of the soviet union with banyas so the author is discussing how kind of the soviet government approached banyas from a health perspective and this is actually written before the Soviet Union started by a Russian military doctor named Goldenberg. And he writes this in 1898, his thoughts on banyas in this treatise called The Bath for Armies and for Popular Masses, its sanitary, medical, and economical aspects. Short instructions for doctors, for military units, for municipal and district governments, blah, blah, blah. Public social baths for the people should definitely be made and organized in such a way that every man, independent of his class or rank, living anywhere, would at any time be able to easily access what is absolutely necessary for the care of the external layers of his body, that which he does not have at his home, to access it if not completely free of cost, then for a minimal price. And I think that a kind of, you know, this sentiment plays in nicely to like Soviet ideology in general and one of the things that this author brings up is not only the banya as like a liminal space how we were talking about it in the spiritual sense but the fact that it becomes a liminal space and that all identifiers are removed so one thing you have is that hierarchies and relationships of power are temporarily abolished because everybody is in this like naked nymph state um and then also people are removing any things like crosses or amulets and even prior to the soviet union there was a saying that went something like in the banya there are no generals in the banya all are equal and i think it's kind of obvious how that plays well into soviet ideology yeah it's like the rituals themselves or like the experience itself of going to the banya wasn't necessarily changed that much but it's like the banya fits well into kind of communist ideology that is another thing i didn't mention when we're talking about history is that the russian banya the like experience of the banya is something that's very much across classes so yeah it's like one of those things that is like a great equalizer kind of thing or at least people like to use that metaphor though maybe like that metaphor is fairly flawed. And in this article, she's making the argument, which maybe you disagree with, which is like, the Banya was not only the institution by which the state demonstrated its capacity to care for and regiment citizenry on a most intimate level, but also a place where the citizens were prepared physically and spiritually to enter communism by achieving a state of universal equality and total moral and physical health. Maybe that's a stretch or whatever, but it does play into that whole like the new man thing where like ideally that person is fit and healthy and hygienic i mean i took note of that sentence actually like also the cares for citizens plus where citizens are prepared for communism it's interesting to think about like how that could be a deliberate sort of policy from the soviet government but then how people just sort of maybe contrasting or just comparing that with how people actually experienced it to this day because like the communal baths still very much exist and lots of people who use them were alive during the Soviet era. Right. So are you just sort of saying like, oh, like people are going along using banyas and it just like so happened that it aligned with 
the Soviet plan. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm just saying that this happens a lot in like academic scholarship about the Soviet era is that you get these sort of like just really nice like academic gymnastic kind of things that sound though that's not a very complex thought but like some of her thoughts are a little bit more complex that like sound impressive kind of you know what I mean like and then forming the citizen with like putting them into the regimented aesthetic machine and then like pooping out (laughs) the aesthetics and then putting the other thing as though these I mean like not that it's incorrect it's just I like to think about I like that but it's so abstract and it happens a lot with like I think with scholarship on communism, because there's just so much ideological meat to work with, you just like don't have to like look that hard for it. You know what I mean? It's very, do you know what I'm saying? It's very like obvious, it's like in your face. You're just saying like it's very, it's very easy to like take Soviet ideology and say like, oh yeah, that is actually how like people were in their day to day lives. Like that was actually affecting them. And this is what was happening when in reality, like people were kind of just like going to their jobs at the factory maybe yeah like going to the banya because it's a nice experience or or yeah exactly or it's it's not that it's saying it's just that it, it feels like that kind of writing tries to replace their real experience with that instead of just being like there's a place for these kinds of like abstract you know musings on what the government could have been using the Banya for, for example. Um, right. There's a place for that, but there's like, it's more interesting to me to hear that with like at the same time hearing real lived experience or like trying to think about the lived experience. Because yeah, there are some, there are definitely like some really excited like comsomals and like people who basically like spoke in that language and just like, yeah, we're little propaganda machines, but I'm, yeah, I'm sure that wasn't the case for most people. And it's just not, not that you shouldn't write about that, but I feel like this paper was just like only that, you know? So she references this short story called Banya written in 1924 by somebody named Mikhail Zashenko. And he's just like describing the process of leaving his clothes. So he receives two amulets, two tickets from the wardrobe attendants, which he ties to his ankles. He proceeds to the bathing area where he does not have much luck. There's no bucket and no soap available. And then he decides to go home and has this the following exchange. I go back to the locker room. I give them one ticket. They give me my linen. I look. Everything is mine, but the trousers aren't mine. Citizens, I say. Mine didn't have a hole here. Mine had a hole over there. But the attendant says, we aren't here just to watch for your holes. But she uses that as an example of where the like aesthetic machine industrialized banya thing fails like yeah it's it's like there's this whole idea of creating this like perfect amazing sort of like industrial cleansing yeah conveyor belt where like all the little citizens are scrubbed clean and then they go out and they go home and like because it's on such a large scale there's all this like stuff with waste production and then like getting it out and cleaning it and this is like an example of this little sort of trivial but very touching moment where like it didn't go as planned (laughs) basically. But then there's another example of like a less Kafka-esque example where things are more utopian. Should we just read that one too? Yeah. Yeah. So then this is another little excerpt of like a real experience from the early Soviet era. So this is from a journal, a little excerpt from a journal called Culture and Everyday Life. And it's from an issue from 1930. So I'll just read this author's description of it. One of the issues from 1930 describes a scene from a mechanized Soviet banya. This scene, which occurs in the Proletarsky Bani in Moscow, is completely different from the sketch in Zashenko's story. It is again about the manipulation of pants and underwear, but what the worker describes is not a nightmare, but a dream. So I came to the bathhouse, took off my dirty underwear, gave it into the laundry, and went to wash myself. For the period it took me to rinse in the bath, to swim, time passed, then I returned to the waiting room and my underwear was clean and ironed waiting for me. And and I do see like the appeal of what she's saying. Like, you know, like hundreds, thousands of people get off work from the factory or whenever they're going, they go, they drop their clothes, their clothes get clean, they wash their bodies, they put their clean clothes back in. In some cases, they're supposed to enter through one entrance and then exit through a different door. It does have like this conveyor belt feeling to it. I'm not trying to, to tone down the fact that the banyas were mechanized mechanized and designed very much in line with like a very particular ideology this ideology of like yeah beautifully working well-oiled machine as they say (laughs) the last time i was in the banya i came into the bathing room and there were like 10 showers and maybe like 
seven of them were on just on flowing 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 and there's just like a drain in the floor and that's just how that works but they were all on and not all of them were occupied and I just like went into one and there was a woman kind of sitting near it who had like parked herself near it and so I kind of asked her permission if I could use that shower and she was like yeah yeah sure go ahead and use it but don't turn the water off as I started rinsing myself she like said it again or like repeated it It was like very emphatic like just don't turn it off and and so I decided to ask why she was like for the past 20 years I paid my water bills and I never had hot water in my house I don't think two hours of running hot water is gonna hurt anyone one of the things I really like about the public banyas is that a lot of times people come with a friend or even if it's not their friend someone there will help them either with the branches steaming or with actually like scrubbing and washing and so you'll see like pairs of women like scrubbing each other's backs in the washing in the washing room also and it's just this very particular yeah I don't know I don't want to like label it fully but I just like and I haven't sort of experienced it in other places this particular type of intimacy that isn't necessarily erotic so before we go what do you say when you leave the banya and what does that mean? You tell me, you know. Like, congratulations on your steam? Well, it's with a light steam. With a light steam. But it's like, congratulations. All right, that's the episode. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia. Follow me on Arena for non-audio related things about this episode my name is smith freeman you can find me there subscribe to us on whatever platform you get your podcast set subscribe to our newsletter on she'sinrussia.com if you have any questions about the show about russia about everyday life in russia you can give us a call and leave a message and we will most likely answer it on the show the number there is 347-292-7126 if you're not u.s based you can also call us on skype just look up she's in russia and leave us a message and that's it right Sloking bottom <laughs> all right bye no i'll be right back i can just pee in the shower ew no 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 why no no why is that ew you just rinse it out no no lily peeing in the shower is only acceptable if you're in the shower taking a shower i will definitely cleanse after there's no difference there's a psychological difference for sure because (laughs) what you're doing is you're going into the tub you're squatting over the drain and you're peeing which is different than when you're already all wetted and then you pee only psychologically and not functionally so Anyway, I'll be right back.